Jonah chapter 4. This will be um, our final uh, sermon in the series on Jonah, entitled A Gracious and Compassionate God. And um, if you're anything like me, Jonah has been uh, a whirlwind. And um, and let me say this, I do not like cliffhangers. Anybody like cliffhangers? I don't like to know how things, like, not end. Like, I don't like those movies where I can't reasonably figure out how the character's life is going to be. Um, if, if there's a cliffhanger, I don't like it. But surprisingly, I like the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah has a massive cliffhanger at the end of the chapter. Massive cliffhanger at the end. And we're going to talk about that because I think the cliffhanger is really powerful. In fact, I think that if you could preach, like, months on the cliffhanger of Jonah, just, just what the question that Yahweh puts before him and what that means for us. We could preach months on that. Um, but I'm going to try and do it in just, what, 25 minutes or so. And so um, bear with me as I do that. There's a lot of things in this passage we're not going to cover. And, um, but I want to focus on the meat of what uh, I think God is teaching Jonah and what he wants Jonah to learn. So hear now the word of the Lord taken from Jonah chapter number four. But it pleased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. 
And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, we thank you for um, the wonder of your word. Thank you for this book that you sovereignly allowed to be written and given to your people for our instruction. Thank you that even today, as we draw to a close, these eternal truths might be with us to guide and shape how we live, to guide and shape our thinking, to guide and shape how we treat one another. Lord, just bless our time today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, last week in the book of Jonah, we saw Jonah's reaction to God's uh, abounding love, the power of the gospel given towards the Ninevites. And last week, we saw that Jonah got angry. He got furious with God. In fact, the text said he got spitting mad at Yahweh because Yahweh delivered the people of Nineveh. And then we saw that not only did he get angry, but that anger, much like a fever, that anger revealed the heart of Jonah, what was deep on the inside. And we saw that Jonah's anger revealed his idols, that he was holding on to the fact that he was a Hebrew. He was a Hebrew. He was a member of the Ivory, those that have passed over. And because he was a Hebrew, the object of God's love, he was furious that God's love was being poured out on people that were not Hebrews, that were not a member of the Ivory, not a member of those who passed over, who God delivered from Egypt by a mighty hand. But we also saw Jonah's profound self-righteousness. And Jonah's self-righteousness is seen in the fact that Jonah established a law, a way of thinking, and he held God to that high standard. And he got angry at God because God wasn't doing what he wanted God to do. God didn't match up to his standard. So much so that he accused God of antinomianism. In other words, he accused God of being too gracious towards people. Could you imagine that? That somebody is accusing Yahweh of being too gracious against, uh, against a group of people who are desperately in need of grace. And you know what's interesting to me? That throughout scriptures, we see two reactions to God uniformly. The first reaction is this. There are many of us in this room at some point in our life will get angry at God because God does something we don't like. And we get angry at God because we think that God is being too difficult. We think that God is being unjust, that God is being too harsh. So we get angry at God. And then the Bible says that there are some people that get angry at God because they feel like God is being too merciful. You see this in Job. Uh, you see this with Jonah. You see this in the Psalms where they're angry at God. They're saying, God, you're being too merciful. You're being too compassionate towards people. And so you have these two sets of people in the Bible, one getting angry and frustrated at God because God is being too compassionate, and then one because God is not being compassionate enough. But you see, the Bible doesn't say that God is a legalist, and the Bible doesn't say that God is an antinomian. I am so thankful that the Bible says God is righteous. God is righteous and he is just. Now, what does it mean to be righteous and just? Simply put, to be righteous, think of a scale. You know, if you have a scale, one of the most famous imageries for justice in our society today 
is what? Lady Liberty. And what does she have in one hand? A scale. And in another hand, a sword. Now, why does the scales show righteousness? Because ultimately, it means a balanced approach with the way God deals with us. He's righteous. He deals with us in a balanced approach. He isn't too merciful, and he isn't too harsh. Unlike us, right? We're often way out of balance. We're often too harsh or too merciful. Not God. God is perfectly balanced in his uh, love towards us and the way he treats us. Even if you look at this passage, notice the unbalanced way Jonah treats the Ninevites. He cares more about a plant. The Bible says he was exceedingly glad when the plant came over. Then he became exceedingly angry when the plant left. He cares more about a plant than he does the life of 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. That's what you call out of balance. Out of balance. And so we see in this text how God is righteous. He's the righteous judge. He's the one who's always in balance. And the way he treats humanity, in which he treats all of us in this room, is incredibly balanced, even though at times you and I can often be uh, treat each other with imbalance. And so today, what are we going to look at? Well, today we're going to look at Yahweh's response to Jonah's anger. And I love Yahweh's response to Jonah's anger because it's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely incredible. And it's an absolute sign of his love towards Jonah. How does Yahweh answer Jonah? Notice with me, he answers Jonah by asking questions. Notice with me in verse number four, Jonah is so angry, and he says, Jonah, in verse number four, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, again, after he gets some relief from the plant and the plant dies, he asks him this question, and again, he says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And then in verse number 11, he asks Jonah another question, should I not pity Nineveh? He's asking Jonah questions. Now, ask yourself this question. What does the sign that Yahweh is asking questions mean? Why is that so significant to us? Here's why it's so significant to us. If you look at, remember, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. God tells Israel, come, let us reason together. Thus saith the Lord. Reasoning with someone is an incredible sign of your love and care for that person. When you're willing to listen to someone who's being completely unreasonable, they're yelling and screaming, they're completely irrational, to take the time to reason with them and to ask questions and to bring them along is the greatest sign that we can give anybody. In fact, there's only one group of people in the world that you simply cannot reason with. You've got to love them a different way, and that's a two-year-old. A cranky two-year-old, you do not reason with a cranky two-year-old. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. you got to put them in a crib, you got to put them somewhere, but you can't reason with them. But everyone else, you can reason with. By the way, you know, if you get in a conversation with someone, and they are diametrically opposed to what you believe in and what you're saying, the way that you can love them, the way that you can serve them, is by reasoning with them. 
Husband and wives, the best thing you could do when you get into a discussion, a heated discussion, is reason with each other. Think of how, think of how many times you've gotten into conversations that went south. Why did it go south? Because you were unwilling to take the time to reason together. Notice in this passage, that's what Yahweh does. And the reason why reasoning is so important, and I know I'm saying reason a lot, but the reason why it's important is because that's the essence of covenant love. That's why in Isaiah chapter 1, God invites Israel to reason with each other, to sit down and let's talk it out. So you could see your sin and see my righteousness. So I could bring you along. Beloved, it's the ultimate sign of showing love. When you can reason with someone. And we live in times that are so polarized. We live in times where no one is listening to one another. One of the things that you can do as a Christian is to sit down with people you disagree with and reason with them. Ask questions. Have them ask questions of you. Because this is what God does to all of us. Do you think you're often reasonable? The answer to that question is no. You're often not reasonable. You're often cranky. And yet Yahweh, through his word and through his spirit, takes the time to reason with you. To calm you down. To ask you questions. And the same thing is true that we see in this passage. Now, what's interesting to me, of course, is that Jonah completely disregards Yahweh's questioning, his reasoning with him. Notice when Yahweh asks him the first question in verse number four, he doesn't even listen to Yahweh. He doesn't even answer his question because the question to Jonah is completely irrelevant. And then even the second question was answered in a selfish way. Of course, I'm angry because you killed the plant. And the very last question he asked, he did, uh, Yahweh asked, Jonah doesn't even answer him. Why? Because Jonah is so angry, so frustrated, that he's denying God's love. This sign, this wonderful sign of God's love, he's denying it. And here, it's in this we see the point of the book of Jonah. And the point of the book of Jonah is this. Jonah doesn't understand God's love. He lacks understanding of God's love. He doesn't see the signs of God's love. He doesn't see what God is doing. And all that God is trying to do from the very beginning is show Jonah what true love looks like. What does it mean to love others? What does it mean to love the people around you? You know, if you were to ask Jonah, Jonah, do you believe that you should love your neighbor? You know what Jonah would have said? Yes. Yes. But did Jonah understand what that means? And the answer is no. And so I want us to look at, first of all, Jonah, uh, the fact that Jonah doesn't understand what the love of God means. And then I want us to see how God works to bring him to that understanding. First of all, Jonah doesn't understand what God's love means. Go to chapter 3 and notice this. God comes to Jonah and he tells Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the Ninevites, call out against it. And in, cha in chapter 3, verse number 4, Jonah says this, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah went and did what God wanted him to do. And after he did what God wanted him to do, he, uh, God ended up not doing what Jonah expected him to do. 
He thought that, jo- that God was going to destroy Nineveh. That's, why he, that, that's what the word overthrow means. It means to destroy. To destroy everyone in, in, in Nineveh at that time. And he thought, yes, I am obedient to God. I did what God wanted me to do. And therefore now God is going to destroy Nineveh. The only problem is the word overthrow doesn't have to mean to destroy completely. In Hebrew, the word actually means simply to turn. And so even though Jonah was expecting God to destroy him, uh, destroy Nineveh, even though that's what he wanted, God had different plans. And the plans that God had was for Nineveh simply to turn. And God was faithful to that plan because he didn't destroy uh, Nineveh. But Jonah was so angry. And why was Jonah angry? Because Jonah had this fundamental idea about God's love. And it's this. Obedience earns God's love and favor. And therefore, God is obligated to do what I ask him to do. Believe it or not, that one principle pervades Christianity even today. This idea that obedience, if I am obedient, if I do what God tells me to do, then I am going to be the object of God's love, and therefore God is obligated to do what I want. I remember when I was a little child, and most of us uh, probably remember um, this song. The song, everyone remember the obedience song? You know the song, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. I'm not going to sing anymore because I'm not a really good singer. But the song is obedience. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it what? Happily. And there are some people that hear that song and hear the teaching on obedience and think to themselves, yes, if I'm obedient, God would love me and God would do whatever I ask him to do. Here's the problem. That song is absolutely correct. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. It's an excellent indicator that you love God and you want to serve God, but it's a poor indicator of God's love for you. That song doesn't work in reverse. Yes, obedience is an excellent way to show that you believe, and it's an excellent way to show that you love God, but it does not work in reverse. Obedience does not mean God is obligated to love you and do what you want. It doesn't work in reverse. And here's how we know it doesn't work in reverse, because if obedience was the way that you earn God's love, and earn God's favor, then why do we need grace? Why do we need grace? Remember, grace is God's unmerited favor. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay for it. God gives it to you out of the abundance of his love. If you can earn it through your obedience, then it's no longer grace. And this is what Jonah misunderstood. Jonah thought, listen, I'm obedient, I've done what Yahweh told me to do, and therefore Yahweh is obligated to destroy the Ninevites. The Ninevites are disobedient, they don't listen to Yahweh, so Yahweh is going to destroy them as a result. And he completely misses the fact that Yahweh's love is not conditioned by our obedience. It is completely out of unmerited favor that Yahweh lavishes his love upon us. And if you're like Jonah and you think that your obedience 
obligates God to love you, and therefore everything you pray for, God should bless you with. Everything that you ask God to do, he's now obligated to do it because you've been good, you've, do, you've read your Bible, you've prayed, you've done everything Yahweh asks you to do. If that's the way you live your Christian life, then you are going to be miserable and disappointed like Jonah is miserable and disappointed. Because that's, how, that's not how God operates. He does not operate underneath the premise that if you're obedient, he will love you. He operates on the premise that because you're created in his image, he will love you. And Jonah's mentality that if he's obedient, God would love him is born out of a slave mentality. You say, Pastor Dennis, what are you talking about? Think with me. The children of Israel was in bondage for 400 plus years. 400 plus years. God comes in, God saves them, he enters into covenant with them. Do you think for one moment, after God releases, uh, after God delivers them, and now they have gone out and they're with Yahweh and they're covenant with Yahweh, they're going to suddenly uh, cast off the slave mentality? The answer to that question is no. You see, think about a slave. A slave knows that obedience garners him what? Favor. And disobedience garners him what? punishment. And so many of us live a slave mentality in our Christianity. We think if we're obedient to God, then God's going to bless us. But if we're disobedient to God and we don't do what God wants us to do, that means God is not going to still be gracious to us and show his love upon us. That's the essence of a slave mentality. That's what Paul was saying in Romans 6, that we're no longer slaves anymore. We've been set free. Our orientation towards God isn't that of a slave and a master, but a father and a child of God. And look, this is so fundamental to Christianity. If, if you're sitting there thinking, I have to work and earn favor with God, that will distort and destroy how you interact with God and especially how you interact with others. And that's why Jonah is so angry and so frustrated in this passage. Because his primary modus operandi is this. If I'm obedient, God has to do what I want him to do. And when I am obedient and God doesn't do this, obviously God is in the wrong. Obviously God is in the wrong. And God says, no, I'm not in the wrong. I am certainly in the right because my, my love for you is not conditioned on your obedience. And that's clear from this passage. Now, real quickly, how does Yahweh correct this misunderstanding? Notice with me in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Yahweh corrects this misunderstanding with an amazing object lesson. And notice the object lesson inside here. Jonah's angry. In verse number 5, he goes out of the city. And what is he doing? He's awaiting to see if God's going to destroy the city. Because again, he's thinking, I've been obedient. I've done what Yahweh has asked me to do. So now it's time for Yahweh to obey me and destroy the city. And then Yahweh doesn't. Then he asks him, do you do well to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer the question because Jonah knows he has no right to be angry at Yahweh. Now look at verse number 6 through 8. How does God get him to see his love? He puts together this amazing illustration. The first is this. He appoints a plant, verse number six, and this plant gives him shade. Jonah is now relieved. And then at the same time, he appoints a worm 
that attacks the plant. Verse number 7. And then after the plant is gone and Jonah is exposed, he sends a scorching wind, and that wind beats down on Jonah to, to the point where Jonah becomes faint. Jonah's ready to pass out and die. Then after all of that, Jonah gets so angry because of the plant. Verse number 11, God asks him a powerful question. Uh, sorry, verse number 10, God begins to answer, uh, ask him a powerful question. He says, and the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And, would, and should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there were more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. What a wonderful illustration. And this illustration points out two things, and I'm going to show you them really quick. The first is this, that all mankind above all others of God's creature is ultimately the object of God's love. They're the object of God's love. Notice uh, Jonah's thinking... Like Jonah's angry at God that because God did not spare the plant. But God is saying, look, the object of my redemptive and covenantal love is not a plant. It's people. It's people. That's the object of God's covenantal love. It's people. Jonah gets exceedingly angry that God saves uh, people, but he is exceedingly glad that God gave him a plant. That shows that Jonah's moral compass is completely off. Completely off. He doesn't understand that human beings, mankind, is ultimately the object of God's covenantal love. No one else. And God doesn't have a general love for humanity. God has a specific love for humanity. And hear me, this is so true. This is so true. This is a powerful concept in my life. As I said before, if you had asked Jonah, does he love people? Do you love people? Do you love your neighbor? Jonah would, would say yes. But if you were to ask Jonah, Jonah, do you love the Ninevites? Jonah would have said no. And here's why. Most people have a general love for mankind. But if you ask them, do you love a particular person? They would say no. Right? There's somebody out there that your affections are not towards. Why? Because we love, typically, we love in general, but God loves in particular. Notice with me in Jonah chapter 3 and verse number 3. So Jonah rose, arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. That word exceedingly great city means this, a city whose affections God's are, God, uh, whose affection God has put on. In other words, Nineveh was a particular group of people that God loved and God cared for. So much so that God desired them to be saved. That is the opposite of what Jonah wanted. Jonah's love was general. God's love was particular towards the Ninevites. But not only that, notice the second thing, that God's love is an active pursuit of all. In verse number 11, Yahweh says this, Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? In other words, should I not show tremendous love and compassion towards this city of people who are on their way to hell? And the answer to that question is, of course, yes. Yes, Yahweh should do that. Yahweh loves them incredibly. 
What's interesting to me is twice in the Bible, uh, Moses did it and Paul did it. Both of them said that they loved um, their people Israel so much that they're willing to die for them and go to hell just so they can be saved, right? Twice that happened, once for Moses and one, or one for Paul. Why is that the case? Because they identified with them. They identified with them. These were their countrymen, and so they identified with them. Jonah, on the other hand, would never say that about the Ninevites because he doesn't, um, he doesn't identify with the Ninevites. They aren't his people. But what's amazing to me in this passage is that God identifies with the Ninevites because they are his people, created in his image. And one day he would send his son to die for them and, and, ra- and rose so that their sins can be forgiven. That's the essence of the gospel, and that's the essence of Jonah. Jonah, the book of Jonah was typically read during Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement in the Jewish calendar. It's the most holy and sacred day. And the reason why the book of Jonah is, is read in Yom Kippur is because it emphasizes two aspects of God, his infinite mercy and his repentance. You think about that for a moment. The most holy day in the entire Israelite calendar on Yom Kippur, the book of Jonah was read because the point of Jonah is that it emphasizes God's love and mercy and his desire for all mankind to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, even Ninevites who were outside of the covenant. And here is where we see the big takeaway of the book of Jonah. That God's love and mercy extends to all, no matter where they are. In fact, I'll let Jacques Alol have the last word on the book of Jonah. And this is in his book on Jonah. Listen to this because this struck my heart and was so powerful. Jacques Alol says this. God waits, tolerates, and pursues until the moment when man is convinced. God puts up with man's excuses and delays in obeying and living. This patience of God is an extraordinary testimony to his love. In love, God recommences indefinitely the work which man boggles. God seeks to make himself loved by man, to save man. He uses every means possible. He employs all his understanding and long-suffering and hope. He is never discouraged. He never stops remaking and forgiving. But God also knows that he is do- what he is doing, and he knows where he wants to lead man. Isn't that a glorious thought? You notice at the end of the book of Jonah, God asks Jonah a question, and Jonah doesn't answer that question. Do you want to know why? Because Jonah wasn't in a place to answer that question. Do you know what happened to Jonah? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I mean, I've read so much on the book of Jonah. I'm like, what happened to Jonah? Like, did he, did he come to his senses? Did he go on to be a great prophet? Did he certainly turn his life around? What happened to Jonah? Does anybody know? I haven't heard anybody or read anything to talk about what happened to Jonah. But here's what I want to tell you. I actually don't need to know what happened to Jonah. You want to know why? Because I know who God is. 
hear me today. There are some of you that are praying for people. Maybe it's your children to come to know the Lord. Some of you are praying for um, relatives to come to know the Lord. Some of you are praying for friends to come to know the Lord. Some of you are going before the throne of God regularly for someone that they might come to know God. And right now it seems like a cliffhanger. What's going to happen to them? Is God going to let them die and go to hell? Is God going to forsake them? You're wondering, what is going to happen to my loved one or my friend? Here's the answer to that question. I don't know, but I know something about God, that he is gracious and compassionate. And as Jack so low says, he knows where he wants to lead them. And he wants to lead them into heaven. And I know this, that God will never stop pursuing. God will never stop loving. And God will never, ever, ever stop pouring his grace on every single person to bring them to a place where they can acknowledge the truth. And if they do not, God doesn't keep trying. God doesn't stop trying. He continues on. Beloved, would that we be those kinds of people. I don't know where certain people's stories are going to end. I don't. Just like how we don't know Jonah, just like I don't, I don't know how the stories of people in my life who I've been praying for for years. I have a friend, Justin. Uh, yeah, Justin is his name. I was like blanking for a second there. I have a friend. His name is Justin. And I've been praying for Justin to be saved now for 20 plus years. He was my childhood friend. In fact, longer than that, probably so 30 plus years. He's my childhood friend. Grew up with Justin. We did everything together. We hung out together. And Justin is as lost as lost can be. And I pray for Justin repeatedly. I don't know where Justin's going to land. I don't know what his story is going to, how his story is going to end. But I know this. I know something about God. And I know that if we continue to pray and we continue to ask God to bring Justin, uh, bring Justin into the kingdom, that God will honor that prayer and move heaven and earth to put truth in front of him so that he can recognize that. Do not give up on your lost relatives. Don't give up on your lost children, your lost friends. Why? Because we serve a gracious and compassionate God who is relentless in his love, and he's relentless in his pursuit of all of us, whether we're believers or unbelievers. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the gracious and compassionate God. We thank you that in accordance with your word, even Jonah, it's amazing to me, you use a self-righteous person like Jonah to minister to the lawless Ninevites so both can come into contact with your wonderful, gracious love. Lord, we don't know how the story of Jonah ends. We don't know what became of Jonah, but we certainly know something about you. And that is you did not stop loving Jonah and did not stop pursuing Jonah, just like how you will not stop loving us or pursuing us or those around us who are in need of grace. Comfort our hearts with that message and help that to be central in our mind as we go out into the world in our attempts in our homes and even outside of our homes to make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.